You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. The biggest of big hellos to the Null and Void Sports Podcast, episode 57. I want to share something with you, dear listener. Can you keep a secret? Can you? Well, go on then. We're very proud to tell you that the very latest figures show that this podcast is now received in 20 different countries across the world on a weekly basis. Promise not to tell anybody. My name's Tony Grundy. Mine's Andy Callahan. I guess for you, it was binge watching a rugby union over the weekend, wasn't it? Very much so, Tony. Yeah, it was the Premiership final. So Leicester Tigers against Saracens on uh, Saturday. And then a very um, callow and young England team took on the Barbarians touring side on Sunday. So uh, the Premiership final was great. It was a, a, a real cracker of a game. The two teams that had finished first and second in the table, real close affair. In fact, it came down to the final minute um, with Leicester Tigers uh, reserve fly half, Freddie Burns dropping a goal to win it with about 30 seconds left on the clock. So a real humdinger of a game. I'd actually said to Billy during the game when Leicester's first choice uh, fly half, England fly half, George Ford went off injured. I went, oh, is that advantage Saracens now? And his exact words were, no, I expect some late magic from Freddie Burns. And I don't think he quite thought it would be as late as the last 30 seconds to drop a goal. In any game of any sport, that last few seconds is an absolute killer, isn't it, when when that comes off? Mm. Absolutely brilliant. So I know it looked exciting and uh, two good teams, but Leicester overcame Saracens might I suppose you could say yeah yeah or or, or the might of Saracens uh player budget which still has never been <laughs> examined fully but we won't get into that but as, yeah. as a Quinns fan there's no love lost between Quinns and Saracens so I was more than happy to cheer on Leicester Tigers for the day uh so that was that was Saturday and then Sunday um Eddie Jones's young side are very much a mm. an experimental side they were missing all the players that had played on Saturday, and I think it was four or five lads getting their first start for England, um, took on a very experienced Barbarian team. So the Barbars are a touring side, invitational, that uh, uh, developed and was started way back in the 1890s as a way of sort of almost like the Harlem Globetrotters of rugby, you know, to turn up and play fast-paced, flowing, entertaining rugby. You know, I think their uh, aims are to play the game with flair, courage, spirit and passion. And in fact, there's a link with one of our guests tonight that their first game ever was in Hartlepool. So uh, oh, right. we'll come to that a bit later on. But uh, So they're an invitational team drawn from all over the world. Normally, this one was very much drawn from the French ranks. So maybe not, you know, France won the Grand Slam in the Six Nations this year. Maybe not the first team French, but it was coached by the French head coach and Sean Edwards as the defence coach. Normally, the Barbarians' end-of-season game is a bit of a, uh, a rugby tour with sort of the training mainly taking place in the pub. But I think they took this one a bit more seriously. They absolutely whomped England. Uh, 50 points mm. uh, on the board. The scoreline, though, it probably 
is a little bit, if you just look at the score, you think how bad were England and how good were the Barbars? I think it was somewhere in between. England weren't as bad as the scoreline maybe indicates and the Barbars weren't as good as the scoreline indicates, but they did play very well. They took their chances very well indeed. And I think, you know, those England youngsters, some of them will be better for that experience. Some, I think, may have uh, sort of, it may, may need to go back to their clubs and a bit more seasoning before they see an international jersey again. But, uh, I mean, and then the the real add insult to injury was the former England second row who went off to Japan, retired from international rugby and went off to Japan um, after the world, the last World Cup. George Cruz actually kicked three conversions during that game. He's not a kicker at all. He kicked three conversions and the final one was a back heel over the posts from in front of the stick. So absolute showboating. I hope he got fined a jug for that. That's normally <laughs> fine for showboating. At least, yeah. All right. Next up, I got uh, golf. And amazingly, we have an England winner of the US Open at Brooklyn, Massachusetts. Well, Matt Fitzpatrick, he's only 27. It's an interesting one, this. Uh, Sheffield lad. I heard him interviewed and he sounded very, very down to earth and very unassuming about what he'd done. But what a time to win his first ever major uh, in, in the Open in, in America. Funnily enough, it was Brooklyn where he, as an amateur in the all-amateur all competition back in 2013, won that competition. Mm. But he's won nothing since. I mean, obviously, made a decent living, but nothing since. So... He beat uh, Scotty Scheffler, the American Masters winner of earlier this year, if you remember. Uh, he won by one shot. Fitzpatrick has clearly the opportunity uh, for more majors, at least let's hope so, shall we? Yeah, I mean, I think he said, didn't he, that he, he felt that his win there as an amateur um, would stand him in good stead. So uh, it certainly did. You know, I thought that was a little bit of bravado at the start of the weekend but uh lo and behold yeah he, he, he sort of followed through with it and and very good very good win indeed i thought the last day as some of the the, the field started to move and shift that might be where they caught up with him but no he he held on and uh deserved his, winner his head seemed to be very firmly on his shoulders which is brilliant i got cricket next uh, obviously we've got the third test starting at Headingley on Thursday against New Zealand. And the good news is, for once, it's a three-match series. We're already 2-0 up, so we've won the series. So it's a kind of free hit in one sense. So the red ball is suddenly looking good with new coach Big Mac, Brendan McCullum, and captain Ben Stokes. What about the white ball cricket, Andy? Well, if we've got Big Mac in charge of the red ball cricket, we've got Big Matt, Matthew Mott, in charge of the white ball cricket. And they're playing that cricketing powerhouse at the moment, the Netherlands, in a three-match <laughs> series. So um, uh, the first game on Sunday was an absolute belter. England were two runs short of the first ever 500-run score in a 50-over game. 498 surpassed their previous record that they got against Australia. So England retained a record there and a good record for once. Um, absolute carnage with the uh, batting. Phil Salt, David Malan and Joss Butler all got centuries. Liam Livingstone then came in and missed out on the fastest ODI 50 in the world by two or three balls, but still the fastest Englishman to that. Yeah. And then 
Um, I mean, the Netherlands put up a good fight for a, for a side that are taken from county players and semi-pro players, um, but 260 yards, so they were well beaten. And then the second game was rain-affected. Um, England won by six wickets. So, uh, But the, the irony with all those big scores is that the captain, Owen Morgan, who is a great player, great batsman, uh, two consecutive ducks. So he's only two more off the most ever consecutive ducks in one day international cricket. So, uh, but he's one of those players that, you know, class forms temporary class is permanent. And he absolutely exemplifies that statement. So I'm sure he'll get his form back. So final game in the three match series start is tomorrow. So again, that's a dead rubber per se, but I know England will be looking to really finish on a high to then sort of set themselves up for the rest of the white ball summer. But yeah, it certainly seems to be after all the doom and gloom of the ashes this winter and then the tour to West Indies seems to be a real resurgence in yeah. energy and form in both the red and white ball. Yes, good stuff. Now, not such good stuff is British gymnastics. The greatly anticipated report into the mental and physical abuse within female gymnastics from coaches over a long period of time is now out. Over 400 female gymnasts wrote official complaints over the treatment from their coaches. Those girls and ladies, let's just say this, should be applauded for their bravery. Now, the chief executive of British Gymnastics, Sarah Powell, was only appointed last year, so she's got the unenviable task of sorting all of this out. And it has to be a total, uh, uh, a, a really look, a, a real uh, look at the infrastructure, the whole infrastructure, to gain people's confidence back uh, going forward. It's not going to be easy, but at least the detailed report is more than a useful start, however shocking it is in content. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it beggars belief that these people were entrusted to, you know, be coaches, mentors, guides to um, effectively a lot of cases, children and have, you know, overstepped the bounds in a whole host of different ways, uh, physically and mentally, um, yeah. you know, and, and certainly reading some of the reports are absolutely terrible, um, you know, and, and as a coach myself, you've coached teams, yeah. I've coached teams adults and juniors just beggars belief um and yes certainly i think that as you say absolute credit to those people who've stood up and made sure that this wasn't just swept under under the carpet anymore and has really the spotlight's been turned on it and things have now got to be done and i think you know that british gymnastics whilst gymnastics clubs up and down the country provide great sporting opportunities for youngsters there's got to be a real look a, a wholehearted and really deep look at what they do in terms of their safeguarding approaches yeah okay uh women's uh, football and the euros not far away at all um the dates for the first group stages the first group game actually is england against Austria on July the 6th at Old Trafford, following all the way through to the 31st of July for the final at Wembley. So three weeks of brilliant profile for the women's game. It's going to be on terrestrial TV, I believe. I don't think Steph Houghton is too pleased, but um, you can't all be in the squad, can you? No, I mean, it's, it's a shame for her because Steph Houghton has been a great player for England um, through the years. 
and you know was a, was an excellent captain for England. And but she she's been struggling with injury, and she herself admitted when she was injured at the time that it would be a real push to be back in time for the Euros. I think yes. she's she believed that she could be ready, but the coaches um, felt that she's run out of road ahead of the tournament. So yeah, real yes. shame to Steph Houghton because you know she's been an excellent captain for England historically. She's been a great player for England, but uh, you know it's it's sort of the nature of top flight sport that yeah, people that have been great servants, you can't always uh, rely on, um, on, on that sort of a, you know, history of people performing. It's got to go on what they can do at the moment. No, no room for sentiment. Okay. Um, tennis and Queens club winner, Matteo Berrettini won that uh, won there last year as well. Uh, he was the losing finalist against Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon last year. And he's saying this win again will reinforce my confidence for Wimbledon. So he's going to be one to watch. Mm. Seems like a, a good lad. I got motor racing next and the F1 Canadian Grand Prix. Keep saying this, don't we? Uh, Verstappen won again. This time, Lewis Hamilton finished third. So he managed to climb onto the podium for the first time for a while after recovering from his bad Baku. You have oh. to have been listening last week to know about that one. Really? Are we, are we going to keep doing the Baku jokes? No, I think that would probably be it now. But It, it, it doesn't is... make it any funnier the more you say it, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, what about a porpoise, Andy? What about that? Porpoise. Um, a porpoise is a, a a type of animal, a sea creature, I believe. Um, I have no idea about the uh, the actual creature itself. I've not much idea about what it's doing. It's apparently the, the the changes that they made to the cars this year to do with how they sit on the surface yeah. and don't create the bouncing air behind. Uh, so it's meant to make overtaking easier and quicker there's all sorts of uproar about the porpoising and actually what's happening with that and as a result i know that um a number of teams including williams are actually redeveloping um parts of the car now mid-season to try and change things which yeah. obviously when they've got a spending cap in place they uh they, they they find that very hard to make such big changes to the car, but Williams in particular was saying it was desperately needed. I know Aston Martin are looking at it as well, but maybe if there's a, a, a cap like that in, in place, they could uh, ask Saracen's um, accountants to maybe <laughs> uh, manage the books for them. Creative accounting. Moving swiftly on, athletics. Diamond League was in Oslo and then Paris. Some interesting results. Yeah, um, certainly in Oslo, um, Keely Hodgkinson, who I know we've talked about on this show before, um, yeah. middle distance runner, she absolutely, again, dominated the 800 metres in Oslo. A great second place there for Laura Muir as well. So a British one too, but Keely Hodgkinson is really looking primed and ready to go. I think, you know, this, this is someone that I would say look out for in the Commonwealth Games. I think she could really do something special there, both her and yeah. Laura Muir. I think, you know, the two of them are absolutely on fire at the moment. Uh, interestingly, in Paris, uh, the 110 metres hurdles, there was an NFL wide receiver taking part. So uh, Devon Allen is actually on the books of the Philadelphia Eagles 
um, as a wide receiver. They're, they're like the wingers who run up, sprint up the field to catch the ball that's thrown by the quarterback. But he actually won the 110 metres hurdles in Paris in a time of 13-16. So, uh, yeah, not only is he a great NFL um, tra- he's, he's a trainee on the books with uh, the Philly Eagles, but uh, also a top flight hurdler. I think that should be a pub quiz, sports quiz question, definitely. <laughs> now, um, Andy, contacts. I, I had contact from John Peacock. He's our guru on uh, Pilates and stretch, as we know. But actually, it's on football. And he makes a point, and I, I agree with him, actually, um, that in top-class football, you've seen increasingly when teams are defending a free kick, they push out from the edge of the area, and they push out, and they push out, and they push out to play teams offside, but leaving a big space, a ridiculous amount of space behind. So now that if anybody chips it accurately, the defenders, and I was a defender, you don't want to turn and run back to your own goal. The attackers have got the advantage, and it's got to a ridiculous level now where if the defenders do catch up with the attackers, they could very well bring them down, penalty, and be sent off. I just think it's it, it becomes fashionable pushing the line-up and pushing the line-up, but it's now got to a silly level. And if you look at the first goal that England conceded against Hungary, against the four that they conceded, the first one was exactly from that situation, putting pressure on anybody who's left behind at the back when they push out. The idea is the goalkeeper will come off his line and the other side is the defence doesn't go all the way back into the area so deeply that it, it, it restricts the goalkeeper. But it's got to a ridiculous level, John was saying, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with him. It's a good point. And that whether people will start to take some heed, I've no idea. From England's perspective, is the tactic purely that they've looked at it and said, whatever we do, keep Harry Maguire away from the blooming goal? You leave Harry Maguire alone. You keep out of it. You keep out of it. Now, moving swiftly on to get a grip. As you gathered over the last couple of weeks, I've not been too impressed by the futile Nations League in which England have not played at all well. I, I don't think regular listeners have picked up on that at all, Tony, that you're no, not no, impressed no, with no. it. It's a bit like Baku, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so I've noted this because partially the reason is they're knackered, to be honest. They played that many games. It's not an excuse that it's a physical fact to play too many games. What I'm cross about, though, is those stupid England fans, and there is no other word that's appropriate, who ended the last uh, game booing their manager, Gareth Southgate. Now, just think about that. With two games to go before the World Cup, how the hell does that help? Yes, I think Southgate is at times too defensive, but please, please engage whatever brains you have or possess and get behind the team. Now's the time to do that. Let Southgate, who is the most successful England manager since Alf Ramsey, get on with the World Cup. If he fails then, okay, you can look separately. But I think he's it's it's brainless. And the, these companies putting lists together on taking bets on who will be the replacement just drives me absolutely nuts. They encourage these people without brains even more. But I think Southgate uh, is a thoroughly decent and honest guy and intelligent guy as well. So you, you ought to be careful what you wish for, otherwise you end up with somebody like Sam Aladici for 30 days. 
Um, so get a grip, England fans, and get behind the manager and the team. Okay. Well said. Over to, over to you, sir. Uh, yeah, well, um, give us. we're now going to move into our uh, guest section and a brilliant chance to um, bring in a regular friend of the show, uh, someone who's an absolute inspiration every time that she's been on. Uh, we've been following her progress as she's uh, trained for a half Ironman uh, event, going from a complete novice right through to um, taking part in the event. And this weekend was the big event. So Sarah's joined us to talk us through how it went and how she's uh, recovering from things. So hi, Sarah, how are you doing? Hi, both. Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well indeed. Good. good. More, more especially, how are you? T tell us about Sunday. <laughs> wow. Uh, Sunday, Saturday, actually. It I was beg Saturday. your pardon. Yeah. Um, it was awesome to be there and um sadly not not the not the success that really really hoped it would be um in terms of coming home with a medal um but i think having time to reflect on it and the experience and everything running up to it i've taken away heaps of positives from the weekend even though sadly didn't manage to finish the event and come home with a medal which was disappointing but character building what, what actually happened, Sarah? Uh, well, after this uh, amazing heat wave that we've been experiencing over the last week or so, um, and still continue to experience on Friday, we woke up on Saturday morning in, in Fishguard in Wales to storm force gales, um, <laughs> lots and lots of rain and less than ideal um, conditions, I would probably say um got down to um the start line completed the sip the swim which in the sea i think is one of the hardest things i have ever done not i think was most definitely one of the hardest things i've ever done um took a lot of physical strength and mental strength to then get out the water and discover we'd missed the cutoff of the swim by two minutes and the race organisers decided to enforce that penalty and wouldn't allow us to continue on to the bike and the run. And yet and the bike and the run, knowing your sort of strengths, you'd have made up that time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really confident, to be honest, that, that I would have done. And um, we still did the course afterwards just to say that we have done it. And um, yeah, my bike was super strong, even in the awful weather conditions, which I think I was a little bit apprehensive about as well, because it was very, very windy. So when you're yeah. up on the hills, you're quite exposed on a bike as well. Mm. Um and with it being a little bit wet as well. Um, but yeah, the, the bike and the run were probably the bits that I was looking forward to the most. I kind of got out of the water and, uh, you know, kind of was thankful that I'd managed to do it. And I was really looking forward to getting out on the bike. And it was, uh, yeah, it's a bit disappointing. But, you know, I think you have to take away all the positives and the training, the build-up um, was awesome. Getting there, the experience was awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, it hasn't made me come away and go, gosh, I want to sell my bike and never do another one. Um, quite the opposite. It's just made me more determined to continue training and get another one in the diary and, um, you know, get, get success. But, you know, it's part of the learning curve, isn't it, as well? It's part of the experience, it's part of the learning curve. And I think when I got there also, I think the enormity of the event, I kind of got to experience just how big it was and when you see some of the other athletes that are there you know I kind of at 500 people I probably counted about 10 other females and the rest wow. were just lost 
guys. So again, I think that was, uh, you know, that was a little bit of a surprise to me as well. I mean, if it, if it's any consolation, Sarah, my first ever effort at half iron distance was similar. I came out, I'd been feeling unwell the week before the Henley event, uh, <coughs> came out of the swim um, and was then promptly ill everywhere. Uh, so the St. John's <laughs> sat me down for a bit and I was uh, very much, if anyone's heard of Tommy Simpson, the old uh, Tour de France <laughs> British rider, I used his phrase of just put me on my ing bike um, <laughs> and they were about to let me go when I was ill again. And at that point, the race doctors pulled me out and wouldn't let me continue on to the bike and run. So, uh, yeah, I completely understand the frustration of, uh, you know, that that feeling. But I guess what you know is that it wasn't the distance that beat you. It was the conditions this time. And actually, I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was conditions. And, you know, I, I also have to kind of say the inexperience of being in sea swimming I've done you know heaps of open water swimming which in itself was a challenge to kind of crack that and become mm. quite confident and you know fairly strong um in the swim kind of section but I don't think anything prepared me for the you know the waves in the water and how that kind of makes your body feel I'm quite motion sensitive as well mm. so as we were going up and down and then with front crawl you're obviously rolling your body from side to side that kind of movement at some points I was quite disorientated as well and I think I wasn't really wasn't prepared for that um but you know mentally I think that I was really strong the the route was one loop and then you get out and you run along the front and then you get back in again and do the second loop and that's your distance so I think to actually get back in the water knowing how hard it was going to be I kind of have to take a lot of positive away from that to know that you know my mental strength was quite was quite strong um but yeah the the conditions were less than favorable and when when one of the cross channel ferries came and docked that was quite <laughs> as well and the swell that came off that was uh was something else as well I hadn't experienced that in Cavisham Lake that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> but, but obviously it's kind of regrouping and what you know you know you, you know that that didn't go well for you but the things that have gone so well for you and just think about the running where you were when we first started talking to you and say I've never really done any running. I'm just setting off on that. And week after week, you saying to me, I love this running. I'm a runner. I can run. You know, and that sort of, I am, <laughs> you know, I am a swan. I, yeah, I can swim. And, and it was lovely to see. And obviously you gained an awful lot of confidence from that. So, and clearly cycling, you were very strong at anyway. So putting those things together and saying, if I was starting again, well, you're not starting from where you were nine, ten months ago. You're starting from a very different place, aren't you? Absolutely. And I think I think one of the, the biggest learning curves has been that it's not always about fitness. Fitness plays a massive part in your ability to, you know, kind of get around the course, I guess, and, and do the distances and, and meet the cutoff times. But a lot of it is technique as well. It's kind of how, you know, how you cycle, how you run, your confidence. And it is all these little bits of information that you take in and that you practice and then you learn and you would probably do things a little bit differently. And then you build on that. So the next time you go, you do it a little bit differently. And I think it stands for the discipline of the training and just kind of, you know, fine tuning the, the technique and 
finding where your weaknesses are because we've got strengths and weaknesses and you know I know that the weakness for me was the sea swim but you know had the conditions had it have been the day before and it had been brilliant blue skies and the sea had been still it probably would have been a completely different experience and um, the other thing also um we we were held up slightly because there were some pro athletes racing. So the pro, pro athletes went in first, quite rightly so. So we were two minutes before we even got in the water. And I think if you're a person that needs every single minute, as I did, those two minutes were quite critical. So for me, you know, my, my kind of thought process was I hang back and just let people get in so that I'm not kind of caught up within with everybody jumping in. Whereas what I probably didn't, would have should have done would have been quite at the front of the queue and that would have given me those two minutes and it would have been super close, but I think it would have made all the difference. So it's those little things that you kind of go, OK, next time I'll do that differently. And now I know I will, I'll do X, Y and Z. So it's all positive and it's all, you know, it, it's all good. It was disappointing at the time because there's a lot of, you know, 12 months of training, 12 months of looking forward, you yeah. know, plus the logistics of getting there, organising, you know, four children and being away for a weekend and all of those things all the build-up and then suddenly within the first hour for someone to say sorry it's not your day today was um yeah it was disappointing but yeah. you know uh, yeah. well, some, some, some official I think if it had been me would have been walking away with a wonky nose after that but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, <laughs> yeah well our, our uh, second guest tonight uh, we'll come to in a second was saying to me a little bit earlier hearing about your circumstances that on the cycle uh, and the run the lead time is so much uh, greater than swimming so it was the wrong sport to do that in you know unfortunately so yeah in every way the odds were against you there but you know next time around you'll get him next time Yeah, that's the thing, you know, it's getting the next one in the diary. And, you know, we've still got another, you know, another big event and race to look forward to in July, which is going to be another big challenge, which is a run challenge. So, you know, it's just keeping things in the diary and keeping the discipline of training and, uh, yeah, just keep pushing forward, really. And every run, every cycle, every swim is different. And if I think if we expect success every single time, then we're not being realistic. And if we don't experience the disappointment of, you know, things not working out the way that we we yeah. want them to, you don't yeah. appreciate those medals and those wins as much as, you know, having to work that little bit harder for them. So I think, you know, when I do manage to complete, because I'm sure I will complete the distance, it will feel even more exciting and more special. Brilliant. I'm sure, so I'm sure what, you what's will. the event in July, Sarah, that you're looking forward to now, the running events? So in July, we are running a um, ultra marathon, which is the Rand Reading Ultra. Um, and that is at the end of July. Fantastic. So no much to, I'll tell you what, our second guest tonight is someone, Sarah, I think you'll be keen to say hello to. Matt Turnbull was until 2010, someone who mainly kept fit by playing football. But... With a number of injuries from football, Matt discovered Ironman events, coincidentally, and from 2011 onwards, took part in numerous events at national, international, and even world level. And on one occasion, he did, listen to this, Sarah, seven Ironman events in seven days. Oh, my God. 
He's now also an elite-level triathlon coach. Wow. Matt, Matt Turnbull, welcome to Null and Void. How are you doing, mate? Good evening. Uh, I'm just fascinated um, listening to Sarah's experience. Um, uh, there's, there's, there's so many things that she's saying there that resonate with me. Um, not least, I've got to give you kudos for your attitude, and that's very much you can you can hear a, a lifetime athlete coach, um, somebody who's very experienced, and uh, whether it's the sport or the mentality of sport, you can hear that coming through. Uh, you're not you know you're, you're not going to let this lie. You've <laughs> you've got demons to slay, and I like your style. I absolutely like your style, and and I think sometimes it does take that failure for, for you to realise what you're actually capable of. And I have no doubt Sarah knows that she can complete that swim tomorrow um, with slight changes. And sometimes that's all it is: slight changes. But the beauty of our sport, or you know, the horror of our sport is you can train every day of the week, you can cover every base, tick every box, but Ironman will throw something at you that you didn't ex expect, even the best of us. Um, at the top of our game, uh, we have we have those terrible days where we, we, we limp back into transition after a swim or a bike, um, not even making it to the run with our tail between our legs, and we know exactly what went wrong, and we, we live to fight another day, and we, we go back and slay those demons. Um Slaying dragons in Wales, as you've uh, as you've uh, <laughs> as you've been doing. I know it well. I know Wales well. Yeah. Well, a few people when they said to me, "Where is your first, uh, you know, distance attempt?" and I said Wales, and they, you know, they kind of did a little smile and they're kind of it's quite hilly there. And every time I've been there, it's uh, you know we've not had the best weather. Is this the best location for your first one? So. <laughs> Those that knew, I think knew. <laughs> well, um, when, when I first came into to triathlon, and I knew very, very little, um, and, and that was it was all you know this mysterious sport to me, and I, and I possibly underestimated it. And, and I said to everybody, I want to do the hardest Ironman. I don't want anyone to think that I'm, you know, I'm just ghosting through this for the fun of it. Point me in the right direction, and they pointed me to Wales. So I signed up for Ironman Wales in my very first triathlon with, uh, with <laughs> less than eight months yeah. training. Yeah, great coincidence. Great mm. coincidence. Did you think yeah. because it was a different language, Matt, that it, it sounded exotic <laughs> and foreign? And it, then it you got across, sound... got across the M47 bridge and it was like, <laughs> is this it? <laughs> well, do you know what? It was an absolutely wonderful experience. And if I if I take the racing aside, again, listen at the Sarah, the people, the atmosphere, the organization. Um, the vistas it was wonderful Wales definitely not to put on an event but they're not for the faint-hearted there's and as Sarah knows there's nothing flat in Wales including the water which is uh... <laughs> <laughs> she, knows, she knows it now she knows it now so you having having listened to Sarah there uh, obviously she can stand and listen to you Matt but um, going back all those years just out of interest, because I play football, who did you play football for? Well, I, I'd, I had trials for Hartlepool United as a youngster, um, oh. and I, I wasn't actually good enough. I think I was lucky, uh, and I was going to pursue that, uh, but I had injuries quite early on, um, and then made my way through Saturday, Sunday, Christian League, tried to you know, keep my, my foot in the door, so to speak. By the time I got to my mid-20s, um, these younger lads were running rings around me, and I was injuring halfway through a season, every season, just laid up, um, fighting for the old fitness, um, but it, it just wasn't coming out. I had, I had knee injuries from, from quite young, uh, and they just kept coming back and plaguing me, which, which interestingly, I've never had the same injury as a triathlete. It's never, it's never come back. Um, but yeah, that put me out by about 27. Um, and then 
sort of became a, a father at 28. And, and for the first three or four years of my kid's life, did nothing. Uh, and then had this um, experience of a, of a close family member passing away and a bit of a life change for me. Uh, and I knew I had to do something different. And, and that's when I found triathlon. It was about charity to start with, but now it's become um, a lifestyle and obsession. It's it's the, probably the biggest part of my life other than my, my wife and children. Fantastic. Now, so, so in terms of you started out in triathlon, Matt, um, what was it that then possessed you to uh, say, I know, um, triathlon, and as you say, I'm good, I want to take on the the Iron Man, and not just any Iron Man, but the toughest Iron Man. What what was the sort of mindset there that said, you know, I, I, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly type thing? Well, it was it was uh, partly to do, to do with I realised I wasn't the greatest swimmer in the world because it did start out with I'm going to raise money for charity and I'm going to do it in a crazy way. I'm going to swim the channel. Uh, I can't be too hard. Obviously, I've I've got my ten meter certificate from me from school <laughs> at, at eight years old. Um, and quite quickly realised that wasn't something I was going to do in one, two, three or four years. It is something similar distance that I've done since. I have done those sorts of distances as an endurance athlete. Um, but back then, a bit off more than I could chew. Uh, and then thought to myself, I need to go to the local triathlon club and, you know, meekly ask them, will you support me and help me with the swim to start with? Then I found triathlon and I was told about this thing called Ironman. Uh, watched a couple of videos and I was absolutely hooked. I was like, that is... That's the biggest, you know, the biggest challenge I could possibly do. This biggest one-day event in the world. Um, watch the videos of people falling over the line, being dragged off the course, collapsing, spewing at the side of the uh, the side of the run <laughs> course. And I thought, that's for me. That's for me because I'm not going to be like that. Um, little did I know that um, when I came into triathlon, I, I became that triathlete that spewed over the line almost every time. Um, so I've, I've had a, a very close relationship with, as you mentioned, mentioned earlier on, Andy, about being ill at triathlon. Um, yeah. So I'm pushing myself to these nth degrees, but I've, I've thoroughly loved it. Um, and I've done numerous Ironmans over the years, and, and everyone is special to me. Um, I don't know if Sarah knows about the branding, if she's looking for the branding that we all have. And I, I was excited to get my Ironman tattoo, this branding that we get. It was a, it's a rite of passage for, for a lot of Ironman triathletes. So I was excited to get that Ironman brand and, yeah. um, and, and get that on my leg. So I have my Ironman tattoo as well. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, well, I, I must say, as we're moving on talking with you, Matt, just to say to Sarah, thank you very much for sharing with us tonight. Uh, your experience at weekend. Uh, we really do appreciate the time you've given and I hope being able to say hello to Matt was good, as good for you as it was for us to hear. And I appreciate Matt, the advice you gave her there. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you, Sarah. And also I know in your comms to Tony last week in the run-up, you were saying that you were going to treat yourself to a beer and pizza um, at the weekend. So I hope that you made sure that you did that, even though you'd, uh, you'd, you'd not quite got the medal. I hope still the beer and pizza was uh, was well deserved, and uh, I hope that you treated yourself to that um, as part of the weekend. Good, good. Okay, Matt. You, you, yeah, you had that experience in Wales, and, and that really you're bitten by the bug. I mean, literally, how many events over the coming ten years, over the next ten years, did have you been involved with? Do you know your number? 
it, it's it's difficult to to say, but for me, it was less about the the number of races and events that I was involved in, and more the breadth and the the different types of things. So it was I wanted to swallow everything up, so every distance, every type of of endurance event. So uh, I set up a, a like a, a charity within the town of Hartlepool, where I'm from. Um, called Hartlepool Endurance Team, and I, and I brought a team of local guys together, about 12 of us across different disciplines, some pure runners, cyclists, swimmers, triathletes. And uh, from around about 2012 to 2014, we undertook a range of just what, whatever we could think of, sat around a table, what can we do that's quite crazy? So we did everything you can think of from, from 24-hour bike rides to um, 26.2-hour runs. We, we flipped the marathon idea on its head and said, rather than do 26.2 miles, why don't we run 26.2 hours, see how far we get? Uh, it, it was like that. It was quite an exciting time for in Hartlepool for endurance and guys coming up with all of these uh, these madcap ideas. You know, could we could we finish 13 miles of, um, of swimming, like a half marathon of swimming in the time it took people to start the Great North Run and, and finish the Great North Run on that particular day? Is it possible? Turns out it isn't, uh, but we give it a good go. We give it a good go. That sort of thing, you know, coming up with all these crazy ideas. Um, and then it, it culminated for me uh, with, with many ultras, 100-mile races, the, the European Championships in triathlon, British Championships, national, international races of all distances, uh, duathlon, triathlon. And, and it sounds a bit sort of like cliche to go, what do I do now? What do I do now? It wasn't about doing lots of races. It was having lots of experiences to share with my family and my children. Maybe it's a bit of a legacy. And um, there was a, a guy in, in Hartlepool who'd uh, he'd done seven seven marathons in seven days. And I and I made a, a quip to my wife, like, and I didn't mean it as disrespectful. I, in my head, I was thinking it must be really tough to do seven marathons off the back of seven bikes and seven swims. But I said it out loud to my wife and it came out like this. It must be quite easy to do seven marathons in seven days. But I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't being disrespectful. I was just thinking along the lines of what would it be like to put seven triathlons yeah. together? And she went, that was a bit disrespectful. You couldn't do that. And then, and then it just stuck in my mind and I mentioned it to a friend. I said, is it possible to do seven? Has anyone done seven Ironmans in this country, in England? And at the time, nobody had. There's, there's various ultras around the world that we know of. Uh, the Brutal now is a, is, a, is a British race, which is 10 Ironmans back-to-back. -back. But back then, it hadn't been done in this country. And I went, nobody's done it before. I'll give it a go. It can only I fail. Accepted. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and, I, and I didn't take it lightly. I did work very hard, about 18 months in the planning. Uh, whole life put on, on hold. Uh, my wife and my children were unbelievably supportive when I was asleep when I should have been on father duties or I was doing six, seven hour rides on a weekend when I should have been more on the lawn, uh, those sorts of things. And that went on for, for, for a good 18 months. Uh, and when it came to the seven Ironmans, I'd never been more sure of anything in my life. I absolutely was certain it was a done deal. I, I sort of knew that I was physically and mentally prepared. But like the conversation with Sarah, triathlon throws things at you that you don't realise. And uh, the seven Ironmans were peppered with various incidents that we just couldn't have couldn't have planned for. We thought we planned for everything. Um, and a good friend of the show, Mike Butterworth, uh, who was my my wingman, he was there for, for six of the seven days with me. We we had all sorts of things that we had to, to deal with and overcome. And we did. And we got to the, the Outlaw Triathlon, which is a huge triathlon in, in Nottingham, on the final day, which was the, the, the big finish with, with an audience, so to speak. 
Uh, and I was, in, I was in bits. I was physically in bits. Uh, mentally, I was still strong, physically falling to pieces. But it was, it was a done deal. We, we knew it was, it was going to be completed. And we raised £10,000 for, for a baby, um, a premature baby charity. That's fantastic, Brilliant. Matt. Just winding back a bit, though, you said sort of some of those challenges, unexpected challenges that um, the the events, you know, rather than just call it one event, the events threw at you. What were some of those challenges through the week that you maybe hadn't expected? Uh, something that, that a lot of Ironmen find as they move along is how the stomach reacts to, to food. So I can only trial and error for a... 24 hours 48 hours at a time if I was doing long training sessions to see what things would work gastrically for me what could I handle what could I swallow what could I keep down what would give me the energy what would I feel like eating but we found that after three or four days which is a zone we'd never been in that my body was reacting to food in a certain way and and we had to put a sort of plan b together now mike butterworth who's an absolute genius when it comes to things like nutrition uh was a godsend to me sort of support me with various supplementation to make sure that if i wasn't eating properly i was still getting nutrition i was getting this really great nutritional supplements uh then we were tripped up when we went on the, on the very last day at the, at the outlaw i wasn't able to use my fueling plan at all the organizers told me i wasn't able to bring my own fuel food or be uh, so again Sarah will know about this that you're not allowed any outside assistance mm. and, and as supportive as the the outlaw were they weren't able to let all the volunteers uh, know that I would be taking outside assistance and they said I would probably be, be disqualified if they if they found me and they would just disqualify you on the spot and then be dealt with later game over so I wasn't able to eat any outside food so I just had to eat what they had on the course which was literally bananas and gels and, and by about two o'clock that afternoon I couldn't eat a single thing. So I, I, I think I ran till about 10 o'clock that night. So it's a good eight hours of cycling and running with hardly Nothing anything. Hard, couldn't, couldn't eat anything. Uh, I went into what they call something called, almost something called a glycemic coma. I don't know much about this, which my blood sugar levels were so low that I kept passing out. Um, and then I'd rest and then get back up, go a bit further and then pass out. <laughs> um, and I don't have much memory of this. I was told by the people who supported me, it was a blur. The last day was a blur. Um, but amazing things happened when you see the finish line. I perked up, ran across the finish line, you know, lots of energy, ate lots, slept well that night, woke up the next morning and felt great, which was a very old, strange old experience. But uh, but the, the worst thing, the worst issue in terms of things that we couldn't um, compensate for was the amount of running and the impact that it has on your body. Uh, you, you can train all, all you want, but you have the recovery in between. But when you're running something like 156 miles in a week, I think it was something like that when you put seven Ironman runs together, your body breaks down and it doesn't recover. It's that simple. So by the time we got to about the Thursday, I'd, I'd ruptured um, some tendons in, in my ankle and I was told that I shouldn't keep running. Uh, so we strapped my ankle up super tight with gaffer and all sorts of stuff to stop my ankle from actually having any movement. So we compensated. We, we found ways through, but yeah, the body, the body broke down in ways that I didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, breaking off from you for a second, if we might, your 14-year-old son, Ben, actually holds a world record, doesn't he? Tell us about that, because <laughs> he, he must have been inspired by watching you over the years. Well, what did he actually do then? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that you're a, you're a product of your own environment, aren't you? So 
my son has just grown up from the day he was born watching mad adults do mad things. Not just me, all his dad's friends, his, his, his you know, some of his own friends' parents, just doing mad things. And, and it obviously opened his mind. And this is a young man who his first goal, it was a goal, not a dream, was to be an Olympian. And that's, that's, it's, it's in his head. It's not a, it's not a, oh, I'd love to be an Olympian. It's like, when I'm an Olympian? And this, this is the, <laughs> the, this is the nature of a child brought up in that environment. And it's wonderful to see. Um, and just prior to lockdown, he, it, it, a, a suggestion came about to do, um, this was for me, was to do four Ironmans across England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales consecutively. And I, and I don't mean like one day, then the next day, then the next day, consecutive Ironmans. And it, it's huge. It's probably impossible. Uh, but that was the discussion that some people had had and I'd had with a sm small team that I wanted to do. But I was hit with COVID um, and I've struggled ever since. My, my lung capacity and my aerobic capacity is massively diminished uh, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm wor working my way back from that. But we were going to do a recce a recce of the courses at one point and then my son was like could I do could I do sprint triathlons back to back and, and that's where the seed was set so we're like well you know why, why why don't we try that again consecutive off the bat one after another the only time between them is the transit the movement will go as quick as we can um and that's what he did that's what he did is um it was a little bit faltering because of lockdowns it was supposed to happen earlier um so he would have been younger he would have only been 13 but lockdowns put paid to that but on the 24th of April, he is the first human being on the planet to, of any age to complete four consecutive adult distance sprint triathlons back-to-back uh, -back across Ireland, Scotland, England and Wales. And he did it in less than a day, 17 hours he did it. Yeah, Phenomenal. Just, for, I mean, just, just, just the travel. Yeah. How did you... Was it was it a flight from Ireland to the next one? Because the ferry, if you're doing that, that that takes sort of six or seven hours. Well, that's 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 it. The logistics were huge, and we had a wonderful team around us from each of the countries, uh, absolutely tripping over themselves to help. So we had triathlon clubs in Northern Ireland, and. Stranraer in Scotland, Carlisle in England, and Buckley in Wales, who did all of the logistics for their areas. So that was measuring all the courses out. And I must say it was a 750-metre swim and not a 400-metre swim, which is what most people think of as a, as a sprint triathlon. He wanted, he didn't want anyone ever to say that he hadn't swam enough. So some people go, well, that's not a full distance. If you, if you do a sprint triathlon in open water, it's 750. So he was adamant that he was going to do the full distance. Um, but yes, the, the transit between was the big issue because it was at the behest of so many other people. But we did take the ferry and it was about two hours, 45 minutes, oh, which wow. was a perfect amount of time for him to eat, recover, get a massage, put compression on, shut his eyes for only it happened to be about 45 minutes. Then we're off on the other side, 10 minutes to the next venue, bang, into the pool, off he goes again. So a huge day for a young man, any for anybody, for anybody, but... He never, he never wavered. Not one. even when he sprained his ankle in, in Ireland on the first triathlon, he slipped down the hill. He slipped down the the, the triathlon team had, had put us into a dell, which was a, a park room, which was five k. So we had to go down into this dell, beautiful place in Ireland, and uh, we hadn't compensated for that in his running. His running was always flat to conserve energy, and that was the only mistake that was made in the day. They put him on, a, on an undulating course, and he wasn't ready, and he slipped down a bank, caught his ankle within about 500 metres of the first run. So he, he completed he completed the entire thing on a sprained ankle. Uh, he was in a lot of pain all day. 
and he, he didn't make a bit of fuss. Did not make a bit of fuss. It was wonderful. I mean, I'm his dad, and I'm, and I'm biased, but I, I, I'm in awe of what that young man did that day. He was he wasn't a 14 year old that day. He was he was a man. It was wonderful to watch. What an absolute champ! And just for our listeners that aren't as familiar with triathlon, the the distances there, as you say, Matt, were a 750 meters swim. Then was it a 20k bike ride, and then a 5k run? That's exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah you know, to do that four times in in I'm going to say four countries. I always dispute is Wales a country or a principality, <laughs> but uh, four countries. <laughs> and, don't and, uh, don't yeah. get on that. No one get on that one, Callum. Yeah, we're yeah, all, that's another country we're going to be banned from. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, that's an absolutely amazing achievement. And, yeah, you know, I, I think you you say, as his dad, you're biased, but you have every right to be biased and proud of that. That's, yeah, uh, that, that put phenomenal a phenomenal shiver, shiver through my body just listening to you talking about your son in that way. You must be immensely proud. Can I, from that, because that is a brilliant, brilliant story, bring you forward and up to date, with Mike Butterworth, who we're obviously linked with and is now a, a regular Null and Void listener, to the new business venture between you two. What's what's that all about? Well, I think it's a business venture second and, and a passion first. I think Mike and myself, we, we align. He's, he's, you know, he, Mike started out as a colleague and then became my race partner and then became one of the few people on this planet that I trust more than anyone. And our we align entirely with, with how... The experience of triathlon should be, and we we see quite often athletes come in, no support, jump in at a big race like I did, get it completely wrong, and then sell off all of their kit for a you know for a song because they're never going to do it again. And it happens so it's happened so often, and I've seen it too often. That's the problem. I've seen it too often. So Mike came to me for his first experience, and and I took him through from the ground up and and I think it's like anything isn't it whether you play an instrument or any other sport it's that base level that you learn as either a child or or, or, or the grassroots level that gives you the, the the firm stance to start from and it's faltering with a lot of people and they waver and they, and they pull out the sport so it, it was very much about that it's about it's about dispelling myths getting rid of the mystery giving young or new athletes of any age the right information at the right time but the problem we have, and I don't mean to, again, disrespect other co- coaches, is it becomes expensive to to get all of that. And there's a lot of misinformation. For example, in, in club environments, you've got a lot of coaches with a lot of knowledge and a lot of theory that is based around different um, sort of different principles, and they can conflict. I mean, I won't get you into the science behind you know periodization or reverse periodization, or I mean, there's just so many things out there. But if you can get one voice of reason with the right information at the right time and at a, a price point that is absolutely, you know, undercuts everything because it isn't about the money, uh, then you're going to have a, a fruitful, we call it a career, we're going to have a fruitful career in, in triathlon for the long term without the injury, without the poor experience, without the worry. And although accountability is is a bit of a four thing, it's not real. Sometimes when you've got that voice in the background giving you, you feel accountable to them they feel accountable to you and it's a, it's a quite a positive healthy relationship so it's quite simply that really it's a, it's a it's a little project we've put together that we we want people to come to us we give them the right plan at the right time for the right distance and gender and age and we follow that up with with support um and all for rather than like a monthly fee like some of these coaches charge 
it's just a, it's a, it's a one-off fee. We've, we've done all of the hard work. We spent a long time creating all of the resources and the videos and the, and the podcasts and the, you know, the sound bites and the, the literature and the plans. And we're really quite proud of it. That's the hard work. Now it's just managing their expectations as you go along and speaking to them and supporting them via social media. So setting up groups where we can support and help each other. Uh, because, People stepping over that line with a smile on the face of the first triathlon is going to lead them on to a better, a better experience further on. But them literally just flopping off the line and going, I'm never doing that again. It's quite likely they're not. And that's not what we want. It's a wonderful sport, a wonderful, I mean, it's a way of life. It's not just a sport. It's a way of life. And it's a great way of life in every respect for health, fitness, uh, mental health, and then the, the camaraderie and, and um, social aspect of it as well. It's wonderful. So what are you calling it? What's the business called? It's called First Try for that for that very reason. You know, we 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 have no uh, want to move forward and go. Let's start working with experienced athletes. It really is that first time triathlete who is empty of experience and knowledge, but is very enthusiastic and interested, and we'll give them the right information at the right time. And, and yeah. as you say, Matt, is that that sort of every distance from that initial sort of super sprint sprint right through to iron distance and everything in between good good question that's a good question and it's i suppose this comes down to ethics uh, mike and myself sat down and said if we have got an athlete coming to us and we'll call them an athlete because as soon as they start this process they're athletes if we've got them coming to us with no experience and that their first uh, their first ever race is an iron man so they do nothing up to iron man do i do i feel that that's ethical with a, a 12 to 16 week plan for them to jump straight in that into that without me being able to support or monitor their data or get some live feedback without at least getting the experience of other distances first. So it's like, it's like riding with the stabilizers on first then riding with dad's hand on the back of your bike. And then the Ironman is letting go of the bike and saying, go for it. So, so ethically we felt that, that our offering really is to say that if you want the best Ironman, you really should go through some of the distances first. So there's a lot of things taken out, a lot of mystery and concern and error taken out. So there's, it's, it's actually very few and far between those people who jump from nothing into Ironman. They've probably done a sprint first or something local first. And mm. I was I would always advocate that for so many reasons. What you're going to assimilate and take in, what you're going to learn from those little experiences are going to support you. Um, and I'm pretty sure that, that, that Sarah, with her experience across a, a range of spots, would say the same thing. Take off the little chunks first and then work your way up and you will more likely be successful, uh, I would say. And you probably have a better experience. So to that end, we've started with uh, Go Try and Super Sprint, which are the very, very short. They last somewhere around about half an hour to 45 minutes. Sometimes the distances vary, but they are very short. To the more standardized sprint distance, which is your 400-meter pool swim, 20-kilometer bike, 5K run, or if you're going to jump into the open water, it's normally a 750 swim. And we will look because we do know some athletes may come from a more purist background like a cyclist. So therefore, jumping into an Olympic distance isn't as uh, as scary. So we're very aware that the you know we're, we're, we're going to cater for those and we're building our our opportunity towards Olympic as well. But we'd mm-hmm. probably stay probably stay away from um, 70.3 and iron unless people want uh, a one-to-one coach. And that's where, I mean, I, I am a coach in my own right. And that's where I would speak to people and go, right, well, there's an option there. You can come to me and I would work one-to-one with you. And I think that's the, the most ethical and uh, um, responsible way of doing it. Mm. So, so how, how do, does somebody hearing this, and I think, 
between you and Sarah tonight, totally inspirational in terms of thinking, background, and your experience is absolutely massive. How do they best get hold of you? Is it website now or social media? How, how do they best get in contact with you? Well, we, we've got both, and uh, the the project's called First Try, so it's quite easy to find, www.first-try.co.uk. Uh, it's really easy. Uh, I'm on I'm on Facebook under my own name as well, so I, I've got a professional profile there as a triathlon coach under my other business called Forever Try. That's quite easy to find, so we, we're, we're open and we're, we're happy to, to speak to people who come to us. What we've also done, this is where Mike's genius is, uh, that in our country, if you start typing into Google, how do you complete a triathlon? What is a triathlon? Will I die doing a triathlon? We're going to be up there as, as one of the first hits. Um, so there's, there's certain algorithms that have, that have allowed us to, to access those people who are worried, frightened, looking at the first try, asking all those questions, and they'll very likely find first try up there. And and just again for our listeners, anyone who's not sure on that, that's try as in T-R-I, triathlon, not try as in... Uh, things that are scored in rugby so yeah it's we, we'd like them to try we'd like them to try but yes it's tri hyphen uh first tri on the end yeah mm. so first hyphen try.co.uk brilliant brilliant really really uh, very very useful input and clearly it's early days for the new company so hopefully what you and mike between you now as regular null avoiders as we can call you that uh you can come back and give us the progress because I think hopefully for Sarah tonight that's an inspirational input probably just at the right time having gone through and she's a very positive lady we know that anyway but that's a real knock to the system uh, on Saturday and she's coming bouncing back but I don't think that's done any harm at all meeting up with you Matt at just the right time so we really do appreciate that input as well but both of you thank you so much for your input tonight brilliant well done andy yeah absolutely fantastic thank you both i mean it's uh it's made me look across i'm sat in my office at the moment with my uh my road bike there that's not been uh out for a wee while and i'm sat there looking at it thinking i'm, I'm tempted again so uh yeah <laughs> I, I i blame the two of you now <laughs> Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Well, that does bring us towards the end of uh, tonight's episode. And yeah, as ever, we're, we marvel at the quality of our guests and the input that brings to Null and Voiders. If you've got any comments, listen out for the uh, contact details at the end of this podcast. Make sure you're with us next week at the same time. or A place to suit you anyway, a location. Those 20 locations countries across the world that we're now in, I think is brilliant from our point of view to know that more and more people are joining the club. But it's because of inspirational people like our guest tonight, that's happening on a weekly basis. Thank you very much indeed, everybody. Thanks ever so much, folks, and we'll see you next week. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on N and V at forthenow.co.uk.